Hey guys, and welcome to Fika with Rice, a podcast about life hacks, inspirational life stories, routines, and keys to success. I'm your host, Frederick Van Huyen, and each week I meet some of the most incredible people in the world from self-made millionaires, best-selling authors, experts, and world-class athletes. My goal is to extract their wisdom, mindset, tools, so you can use them in your daily life, but above all, to inspire you. Let's get this Fika started. Welcome to episode 20 by Fika with Rice. This week we meet Brendan Kane, a growth hacker, business and digital strategies for Fortune 500 corporations, brands and celebrities such as Taylor Swift, Rihanna, Charles Barkley, and supermodel Adriana Lima. He's also an author and famous for have gained a million followers in 30 days. A very tactical episode on how brand building works and many, many actionable advices on how anyone can grow their social media following. Let's get this Fika started. This is Brendan's story. Let's go. Hello, Brendan. Welcome to Fika with Rice. So excited to have you on the show. You have a very special background and expertise, and I can't wait to ask all the questions that I have. Brendan, you're a business and digital strategist for Fortune 500 companies, brands, and celebrities. You worked with Taylor Swift, Rihanna, Charles Barkley, and the supermodel Adriana Lima to engage and expand their audiences. But you've also built a social media following of a million people yourself in less than 30 days. So I think there's been a lot of people in the audience today who will be very interested to learn more from you. So thank you for being here with me. Yeah, it's a pleasure to connect with you and everybody that's tuning into this. Let's start with this. What was your first internship like, Brendan? So I started in the film industry. And like everybody else, I had to start at the bottom making coffees and copies and and deliveries. So my mind as an entrepreneur goes, what is the best way to get out of this position as quickly as possible and get into a position that is more suited for what I want to do? Obviously, I think like most of us, we don't want to be sitting there making coffee or copies or deliveries for the rest of our life. So for me, it was very much a exploration of everybody that worked at the studio that I was at to understand how they perceived the world, what kind of problems they were facing, what type of challenges and finding ways or what I call hook points. And it's in the first book, One Million Followers, but there's a whole, my whole second book is based on it. But ways that to really kind of stand out and grab that attention from, you know, studio executives, like the the, the president of the studio, actors, directors, producers. So very much, I hated doing that work of the kind of the grunt work. I knew it was a mandatory step to get my foot in the door. But I was constantly between whenever I had spare times, I was just trying to figure out, well, what was the best way to capture that attention, to connect with these people at the higher levels? Is that a reflection that you had that came afterwards? Or is that a reflection that you had already as a young person, as a college student, Brendan? I started all the way in high school. So I didn't, I don't know that I knew what I was doing, but I well, let me take a step back. I kind of knew that I had goals of like in high school connecting with a certain group, but I didn't know kind of exactly how I was doing it. And essentially in everything in life, I'm looking at pain points, problems, and how people perceive the world. So thus I can construct a solution to foster that connection, to provide that value. So it opens up the doors for whatever type of um, relationship 
that I'm trying to form. Where do you think that came from, Brendan, that sort of young maturity? Do you think that came from, did it come from your parents or another mentor that you might have had? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I don't know that it came from my parents, although my father has this skill set ingrained in me, but I don't remember him teaching me that skill set. So I'm not smart enough to talk about genetics and things being passed down, but there could be something along that. I don't know if I would call it maturity. I I just kind of saw it as I had problems I was facing, like in high school, for example, I was being bullied. So one of the, the elements was, well, if I can make friends with this other group of people, then they won't bully me anymore. So it's almost in some ways a survival, a survival skill set uh, that just kept growing and growing and growing. And I and I even remember as early as like third or fourth grade doing things like this. But I, I don't know necessarily what what it came from. It just kind of was intuitive to, hey, if you want to connect with certain people, offer some type of unique value so that you stand out. I resonate a lot with that, Brendan. You know, when I grew up in Sweden, there's not a lot of immigrants or foreigners in Sweden. And I remember we're only like two or three Asian children in our kids in my in my middle school and uh, and high school. And I remember that obviously I, I wasn't bullied or anything, but obviously people say mean things, you know. And I think luckily I, I think I was good in sports, so that helped a lot. But I remember I can resonate a lot with what you're saying that I was trying to be unique, trying to be sometimes funny, trying to have good comments, trying to be to help people or trying to add value, like you're saying, just to be not popular, but I think accepted, you know, in the society. Yeah. yeah, to me it was, and it still is today, it's just like, what is the problem that you can solve for an individual or a group of individuals? And then it's not just about how you solve the problem, but it's also how you contextualize solving that problem. Because so, for example, we take my first book, 1 Million Followers. If you type social media marketing or social media strategy into Google, you're going to get billions of results. So it's not just saying, oh, I can help you with social media. You have to contextualize it with a hook to really stand out at the highest level. So that's where you know, 1 Million Followers, how I built a massive social audience came through. I didn't do it and then come up with the hook. I created the hook first kind of tested it with a literary agent, a publisher, and then also very intelligent people that I knew in the digital marketing space and even beyond to get a sense of, does that really stand out? Is that going to capture people's attention? So it's, as I kind of have grown with this skill set, it's, again, it's not just about the value that you're providing or the solution that you're providing, but it's also, it's critically important that you contextualize it in the right way so it stands out. Because the world that we live in today, it's hard for us to find anything that has never been done before. I mean, everything has been done before in some way, shape, or form. And so that means there's always going to be competition. There's always going to be other people offering the same value or solution that you do. So it really comes down to how you really narrow it down and package it in, in a way that will rise above anybody else doing it. Why did you want to write that book, Brendan? Well, I had wanted to write a book for quite some time. I just didn't feel like I had the right hook point for it. So I had contemplated writing a book for like three or four years, but I just didn't feel like I had something that would really stand out because when I do things, I do it at the very highest levels. And that 
doesn't come from an ego perspective. It comes from, I had to start that way. So when you start in the film industry, each piece of content that's being produced, you're spending tens of millions, in some cases, $100 million plus to produce a single piece of content. Then you need hundreds of millions of people around the world to know about that piece of content in months. You don't have years or decades to promote, to, to, to do that. So when I started, you were thrust into a world where you had to come up with ideas that at a minimum are reaching tens of millions of people. You couldn't talk about an idea that's going to reach a million people or hundreds of thousands or even thousands of people. It just, you would get nobody to pay attention or you get laughed out the room. So when I think about hook points and, you know, to your question about the book, it took some time to figure out, well, what would be that, that hook point that could stand out at the highest levels and, and, and grab attention to teach the principles that I had been learning since doing this since, since 2004. When you started or when you were building your social media following, Brendan, what was the biggest misconception you believe that you came across? Well, yeah, it's a good question. I don't know what the biggest misconception at the time was because I I did, you know, the million followers in 30 days on Facebook in like 2018. I did a million followers on Instagram. I don't even remember when I did it, probably like two years ago. But also just to kind of point out to people, like a lot of people see the cover of my book, they don't read it and realize that collectively across my team, we've generated... 50 billion plus views organically, hundreds of millions of followers for our clients and billions of revenue. So what we talk about is not just about what I learned for my following. And you know, my social channels are, are highly neglected because we're so busy working on projects uh, for clients. I don't know that I can answer the question of the biggest misconception at that time, but I can answer the question of the biggest misconceptions today, which I think is, is, is also more relevant. There's a lot of misconception about frequency how many times you post, time of day that you post, hashtags, all of these other things, which at a time, yes, they did work. They worked when there was less competition on the platform. But now we live in a world with social media that there's hundreds of billions of messages sent out on these platforms every single day. So that makes it highly competitive. And the thing that controls reach and distribution on every single one of these platforms is the algorithms. Now, there's a lot of misconception about algorithms. There's a lot of demonization of algorithms. There's this big myth that the algorithms are there to suppress your content on purpose so that you pay for reach. That is distinctly false because if that was true, nobody would go viral. You would see no creators grow organically. So there's a lot of misconception about kind of hacking the systems for with what I said is just post every day, post multiple times a day, use certain hashtags, post at a certain time of day. And that just, that doesn't work from the standpoint that because the algorithms have billions of pieces of content to choose from, there's so much competition. And the algorithms really, at a very simple level, have one goal and one goal only is to keep individuals on the platform longer. So they're always favoring content that has higher retention, meaning content that people spend a longer period of time with. So that is a big misconception. Uh, the, the sole focus that, that we, you know, we have a viral content engineering process that we've used in all the success that we've had. And you know, the biggest focus that we have is one, how do we stop the scroll? And once we stop the scroll, two, how do we hold that attention, that retention graph? I mean, if you do those two things, you will win no matter what platform you're playing on. And you will win no matter what change happens to the algorithm because the algorithm 
has this sole purpose of just retention. So that's where a lot of those misconceptions uh, today, again, they held true at one point in time. So I'm not deluding and saying they were never true, but the world that we live in, it just becomes more and more competitive. So you have to play the attention game. And I would say that the biggest place that we find that most people struggle is really stopping the scroll. Is how do we, again, going back to what we were talking about in the very beginning is this concept of a hook point. How do we contextualize the message that we're going to deliver in this video or this post? So it, it grabs that attention in those first three seconds and not just grabs the attention, but holds that attention because we're not talking about clickbait because the algorithms have become too smart for that. That's a long-winded answer uh, to your initial question. Brendan, yes, thank you for that. You mentioned viral videos and you also said that no one gets a million followers, a lot of followers without vi viral videos. That goes viral organically. So what I well, want to ask you. I mean, listen, you can generate followers. We talk about it in the book, other ways. We've tested every single way. We continue to test because uh, I love to learn. And also if if people have read the book or if they do read the book, they'll they'll understand that when I generate a million followers in 30 days or when I generate a million followers on Instagram, it's not about making myself famous. It's not about making myself an influencer. It's about testing and understanding what works and what doesn't work. Because my true passion is to teach people. So the best way to generate followers is to make content go viral, to generate that reach and have people opt in that way. There's many other ways to generate followers. You can do it through advertising, you know, Facebook, through the ad platform, very easy to generate followers. Well, let me take that back. It's very easy if you know how to use the platform right, because it can be very expensive. The goal is to drive down your costs by making your content shareable through that. You can do it, you know, people do like loop giveaways. That's been around for a while. You can enter contests. You can enter share for share. So you partner with pages of your similar size. They share a piece of content for you. You share a piece of content for them. You can buy shares. So you can buy other pages or accounts sharing your content. So there's many different ways to generate followers. I will say that if you don't have a solid content strategy in place, you're going to fail to reach those followers that you gain. So I've seen both ends of the spectrum because there's also another myth out there is like when people see low engagement on an account, they're like, oh, they bought fake followers or they're unengaged followers. No, that means that the algorithms aren't releasing their content because it's not playing to their overarching goals. So I've seen accounts purely organic grown to large numbers that have low reach and engagement. I've seen accounts grown through paid acquisition and contests and giveaways with high engagement. So I see all across the board, the real key is how good is your content? How good is it um, in maintaining attention or, or um, stopping the scroll and grabbing that attention and maintaining that attention? Brendan, how do you manufacture variety or posts or videos that go viral so you get that exponential growth on Instagram and Facebook? Yeah. So Again, we have a whole viral content engineering process and people go to hookpoint.com. They can see a full video and download the deck of the things that I'm going to talk about. So I'm not holding anything back on this podcast, but if people are trying to write notes or something, just know you have that as a free resource to so go to hookpoint.com. But it really starts uh, with research. So most people with content, they, they jump just directly into the ideation phase or they're using brand guidelines to drive creative decisions. 
But essentially what makes us successful is, is we apply the scientific method to creativity because it's kind of crazy when we look at science, when people are developing um, cures or supplements or things like that, they're leveraging years, if not decades of data to inform their decision of what to create and what not to create. But all of a sudden, when it comes to creativity, when it comes to content, all of that's thrown out the window. And there's millions of data points that are available to us for absolutely free. So the first place to always start is research. You know, dig into content. You know, most people are using social media from a passive experience, meaning they're just consuming content of their friends or people they follow because they enjoy doing it or they're bored or things like that. The best place to start is to flip that on its head and to start consuming content from an active approach, meaning start understanding when something pops up in your feed that has millions or hundreds of millions of views. Well, what is driving that performance? Same thing with content that is not successful. Study that. Well, what is it that's not driving the performance? And look at it from the lens from a from a very primitive level, it goes very deep. But the easiest place to start is just focus on two things. Why did this video stop the scroll if it's a successful one? And what is the story structure that they're using to hold that attention? And then vice versa, when you see a post that's not performing, look at, well, what are they doing in the first three seconds that's wrong, that's not stopping the scroll? In addition, like how does their story play out? And one of the biggest things is to make sure that you're not just focusing on your niche. Like if you're uh, in real estate, don't just look at other real estate agents or developers, because I would say nine times out of 10, they're going to only show you what not to do, which is important. Don't get me wrong. You should be looking at what your competitors are doing, but oftentimes they're going to show you what not to do. Oftentimes what to do, you're going to have to branch out and look at other creators and other sectors. And yes, you can learn from them and apply it to yourself, apply it to your brand in terms of story structure, thumbnails, headlines, meme cards, things like that. You can figure out how to make it applicable to, to you and your brand. Brenda, you, you mentioned brand. When you started your Instagram, Instagram account and your Facebook account, you said Facebook in 2018. Obviously, when you start a brand, you need to be clear on, on what you want to be famous for or what Brendan Kane's account is going to push out, right? How does like the average Joe or how does, how do I or anyone narrow down what they're going to, be, to push out? How are they going to, how can one draft their own story, so to speak? Yeah, it's a great question. And the, the first place to start is, and this was one of my advisors that was, very high up at, at Live Nation. He he was the general manager for Live Nation for a while and worked with Jay-Z and a lot of big people. And he, he made an interesting comment that was, I think, very relevant to the question that you asked is, is most people are, are, are trying to form brand before they've even figured out how to make money or they're forming brand before they figure out how to make something work. So yes, you can set a hypothesis. And, and, and typically, I'd rather start with a hook point than brand because a hook point is designed to force you to really think about how you're going to stand out, how you're going to differentiate yourself, and then go and test it. Again, one of the other big misconceptions is like consistency with tonality and colors and patterns on grids and stuff. And nobody cares about that. That stuff can be integrated once you find out what works, but you do not start there. So I'm very hesitant, especially for people starting out, to say, okay, let's define our brand. 
before we even know what works. Yes, you can have a general consensus and you can test hypotheses around hook points or directions. But the last thing I want to do is, do is, and I see this all the time, is people set a brand and then they just stick with it. And they're like, this is my brand. I'm not wavering from this. And then they just keep creating content in that direction and it keeps falling flat. And then they don't know why. So to me, it's like, how do we get something working first and then design the brand around it? That doesn't mean that you say, well, I don't know what I want to be in this world, a real estate agent or a YouTuber or somebody talks about financing or fashion or things like that. You can have that core passion is like, oh, I love fashion. So I want to really focus on fashion. That's fine. But like really narrowing in your brand around fashion before you've gotten anything to work will oftentimes work against somebody in achieving the success they're looking for. Very interesting answer, Brendan, because I'm a big believer in patience. But you said that content plans are important and it's important to test things. So I met a lot of experts and everyone or many of them they say, okay, you need to plan out your content months in advance. No, that's the worst. That's the worst thing that you could ever do. That's a big part of our viral content engineering process is single production because you don't learn anything. Like, let's just say you, you schedule out content for the next 30 or 60 days. How are you going to learn from that? Exactly. You're making a decision for everything. And then at the end of the 30 days, you're going to look at all of this data and not know what is driving what. But if you set a hypothesis for each piece of content, test that hypothesis, learn from that hypothesis. And if that hypothesis is based on research, you are going to learn with every single post. And that's where you're going to get better and better and better. But, and again, I'm not saying that there wasn't a time when that worked. There was, but there's less people on the platform. Like You've got to realize, and I started in the very beginning. I started in 2004. I remember when MySpace first hit its million users and everybody was like, oh my God, this is crazy. You fast forward today, there's 3.96 billion people on social media. It's a very different world and it continues to be different as it scales and grows. So we have just found that that type of advice, again, I'm not diluting that it's value in the past, but today it's just going to shoot you in the foot and it's going to nearly make it impossible for you to engineer your success. And I agree with you on the patient side of thing. Patience is everything, especially with this process, but you've got to put your patience in the right place. If you're just publishing content and playing the consistency game and scheduling all this content and you're not really fueling learnings, you're not going to win. It's kind of the, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So that's where our viral content engineering process is first deeply rooted in research, but also it's deeply rooted in this concept of single production iteration. Create one piece of content at a time. Learn from that piece of content. Go back to the research and keep doing that over and over and over again. So you basically, Brendan, you would say that you, let's say just for your own uh, account, I'm, I'm looking now here on Instagram, you have over a million followers. You don't have like a weekly plan, a bi-weekly plan. It goes content by content, so to speak. Yeah. And again, my my social channels, we follow this process, but we heavily neglect our accounts because we're so focused on other things. But I can just tell you from the success that we've had with that. I mean, my creative director, uh, who's one of the top social media minds on the planet, in his previous company, they would spend almost two weeks on the first 90 seconds of a video. 
Like that is a level of granularity. Now you may be like, that's insane. Well, they were doing three and a half billion views a month. So it's, there is a science to this. It's just a matter of, do you really want to be good at social media? Do you want to go viral? Do you want to master this craft? Because it is possible. Virality can be engineered, but it is difficult work. Like we're, we're launching an academy in probably a month or two. And you know, the initial training is 20 hours. So it's like our process initially is just 20 hours, but really to get good at this, like the, the academy is going to be broken down over a six month period. Like it, it takes that long to really get this. But if you do get it, it doesn't matter what shift or change happens with social media or anything. Why? Because our process first and foremost is deeply rooted in research. So no matter what change happens, we can always find the answers in doing the research to guide our creative ideation and creative decisions. Brenda, one thing that I was thinking about when you were saying about when you analyze, you do the research and then you're heavy on the research and then you create that post and then you analyze the results, right? Based on your your hypothesis and your assumptions, basically. One thing that I'm... so. I started off on Instagram last year, 380 followers, mostly my friends, never been big on social media. Now I think I have like 2,200, so I've been growing a bit. But, and I'm also, I'm trying to build my following on, on TikTok as well. So the question I have is, is it better to post things that you're really passionate about, things that you, you love, you know, and things that you want to share? rather than posting posting things just because we know it's going to work and that's going to get us followers. Yes, you definitely want to do things that are you're passionate about, but it has to be baked into research. So if you're really passionate about a subject, you still got to do the research because your passion alone is not going to cut it. Because there's with 3.96 billion people on the planet, I mean, there's a lot of people that are passionate about what they're talking about. That doesn't mean they're going viral. It doesn't mean they're growing. Um, doing things for the sake of going viral. One, I don't think that there's a lot of people that are doing things for the sake of going viral because more people will be going viral. But no, you don't want to just do things because they go viral because one of the, the biggest challenges is creator fatigue. It's there. Again, even with us, like we struggle to find times for content for our own channels because we're so busy. So yes, you do want to find something that you're truly passionate about as long as you're baking it into the, the viral content engineering process and really leveraging research to guide the decisions of how you deliver that message. Because you and I could be passionate about the same thing. Let's just say you and I are passionate about basketball, but in our, our passion is both 100%, but we could tackle it in two different ways. Like you could do it and go super viral. I could do it and fall completely flat. We're both passionate. We're both talking about the same thing. But that doesn't mean it's necessarily going to go viral if you're not following the right process. Brendan, you mentioned a lot of research. Let's say for like a, a newbie like myself, how does the research process look like? You mentioned the three seconds. That's something that, 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 that I heard that you have to really analyze the first three seconds and also what's going to really make people stop to scroll. But are the other critical questions one should be thinking about? Yeah. So. You know, obviously in research, you're only going to get so much data from looking at other people. And I'm just going to show you the level. Can you make me a co-host so I can share my screen so I can just show you some example? 
and I'll try and talk through for the people that are listening. No but problem. Those, those people that are listening, you know, if you get a chance, um, tune into the to the video. So yeah, let's just kind of look at this. This is an example of research that we pulled, and it just kind of, and this is actually research that we do for my content format on my Instagram channel. So the format that we we use is reacting, reacting to viral videos and breaking them down, because that's the core philosophy of what we do for people is we help them break down and understand why something works. So for us, you'll see on this column A, we break it down by platform. Then we have the links to the actual video. And then we have the the type of categories that are here, whether it's dance or relationship, an ad, photographer, all these different things. And then we pull in the metrics. We look at the metrics of what's you know, what it actually does. And then we have our notes. And for this, it's like shooting notes. So it's like, you know, of all of these, these are all videos that have gone viral, but that doesn't mean we are going to react to every one of them because we know in doing this format, there are certain things that will work. There are certain things that won't work. So we will go through this and then we will kind of narrow down well, which ones do we think work. So like you can see, I mean, we go through a pretty intensive process here to do this. Now, you know, to start out, you don't have to go to this level. You could simply get a notepad or start a Google Doc and start jotting down notes of, okay, I just watched this video on on like Graham Stefan did a video. His I think his most viral video is um I bought a Tesla for $78. So you could just write down in a Google Doc or in a journal, okay, this is what I hypothesize is the the growth driver of this. Then you take another video, you do the same thing. Um, then you do it for videos that don't work as well. And you write, well, this is what I think is detracting from it. The most important thing is, are you learning? You know, the again, the, the viral content engineering process that we have is 20 hours is very deep. So I don't want to kind of overwhelm people. The most important thing is just to start creating hypotheses around content that is having performance, content that's not having performance, and then test that with your own content. And obviously, it has to resonate with who you are as a person. Yeah, right? you obviously, yeah. you know, people can, performance is a part of it. You know, like you have to be able to deliver the message. So people can tell if you're not into it, not passionate about it, or not enthusiastic about it. And if it comes off dry or flat or inauthentic, yeah, it's not typically going to work. I understand. You worked with a lot of celebrities, Brendan. What are, for example, the top three life lessons you've learned working with, for example, Taylor Swift? Well, I, I think one big takeaway is that everybody can can really do is, and, and Taylor was really a genius when it came to creating her brand. Like it was her on her own. She's the only reason for her success. Nobody else. You know, the one thing that Taylor got very early on that most people don't even get today is that social media is a one-to-one platform. It is not a one-to-many platform. And people are often treating it like a one-to-many. You're going to, you see people, Hey, everybody. Well, when we're doing social media, we're sitting on the couch or at the desk or on a bus. Who's everybody? It's literally one-to-one. We're not sitting in a stadium watching social media together. It's a, it's, it's really that one-on-one experience. So, you know, I think that that is a big one. And, and, and also, she was a master of creating brand advocates. She knew through that one-to-one connection, that one-to-one communication, it was turning fans into brand advocates for her. So each time she responded to a comment, took a photo with the fans, signed an autograph, 
it turned that fan into an advocate that was now willing to share her brand with everybody they knew. And because this was happening in a time where everybody is in social media, it was no longer that a kid would show up at, at school or on the bus and just tell five of their closest friends. They were now posting in their social channels and people have hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, in some cases, hundreds of thousands of followers. So is that exponential growth that she really, really mastered. And it was authentic to her. And then finally, you know, it was interesting as she scaled and reached a point where she couldn't engage with every fan one-to-one, she just took it to a next level. It's when she started showing up at fans' bridal showers or birthdays with gifts and stuff and turning that into a video content. And that video content would go viral. And the, the genius behind it is the way that can, she constructed that experience, the way that she constructed that message. And she melt, made the, the, the fan watching it feel like Taylor really cared about them, even though Taylor wasn't doing it for them. She was positioning in such a way as that, yes, I can't reach all of you individually one-on-one, but I truly care about you. I care about all my fans. I appreciate you. I love you. And that is just something that, that very few people have been able to master. And that is the core crux of what social media is about when you're scaling to a celebrity level. Did that come from, uh, you, you said that Taylor is a genius and it came from her. Do you mean that all these ideas then, it really came from her? Like she, she wanted, she's not just an artist, you know, a singer, but she's also, I mean, an amazing creator in when it comes to creating brand advocates. She has yeah, these I amazing mean, ideas. If, listen, I, I'm not best friends with Taylor or even friends with her. So I can only go off of the interactions that I had with her and her team. And through those, and I'm not diluting the value of her team. She's got a great team behind her, but through all those interactions from, from what I could see, she was the driving force behind it. Now I'm not saying that her team members didn't help because you need agents and managers to do a lot of other things. But when it comes to growing her brand, growing her social following, she was the driver behind that. I mean, she is, She's wicked smart today, but she's wicked smart when I worked with her. I mean, I'm horrible at timelines, so I may be off. But I think when when I worked with her, it was probably at least eight or nine years ago. So it wasn't at, she was not a superstar, but she was on that inflection point of being a superstar. And even at that, at that time, she was just, she was so spot on. Brendan, a lot of people are listening in and watching this. Obviously, they want to grow their social media following. I mean, they want to know what the secret sauce. So let's do a little case study just for fun. I have 2,000 followers on Instagram. What are the growth mechanics of Instagram? And besides research and besides posting one by one and analyzing results and testing it versus what I'm really looking at, what are other things I should be looking at? Well, those fundamentals you have to look at first, because otherwise, listen, I can, and I will give you other growth mechanics out there, but without that, if you grow your followers, you're never going to reach or engage them. So content is number one. Number two, again, there's, you either play the algorithm game, play the content game, get reach, grow your audience that way by getting massive reach in the algorithm because they're seeing you're holding attention and hitting the explore page and all that. That's one. To me, that's the preferable way to do it because you're fundamentally creating a solid foundation for everything by understanding content and what works for content. So I'll put that aside. Uh, other ways is distribution of content. So I'm going to take an extreme example. Let's talk 
I think he's still the most followed person on Instagram, The Rock. If he's not, he's got to be in the top five. I love his posts. I don't even know what he's at. 160, 200 million followers, whatever. He's got a a mass amount of followers. People will say, oh, he did that organically. That's totally false. Because if you think about The Rock, and I'm not deluding The Rock. I'm not saying deluding anything about what he does. I think he's a master at what he's been able to do for his brand and his craft. But if you think about The Rock, started off in the WWE, one of the biggest television shows of all time. Then he started going into movies. Each movie he's in, because he's in the biggest movies, he's not doing independent movies, they're spending minimum $100 million to promote that movie and to promote him. And then for each movie he's in, he's on the cover of Men's Health. He's on the Today Show. He's on Ellen. He's on the, you know, the cover of major um, newspapers. That is all driving back to his brand. That is what creates that exponential growth. It's the same with LeBron James. Like he's on TV all the time. ESPN is, is promoting him. Nike's promoting him. There's hundreds of millions of dollars a year that's put into LeBron's brand. Same with Ariana Grande. There's a ton of, there, you know, she started off on Disney. She built that foundation that way. There's a ton of money through her endorsements and everything that's pushing towards that. So I just like to call that out because distribution of content and brand drives into central points like Instagram. So most of us are not the rock. So what does that mean for the rest of us? Well, a simple way is finding other accounts that have either big followings or similar size followings to post your account and drive traffic back. So one thing that a lot of people grew really fast on with Facebook, Instagram, uh, YouTube is collaborations. It's collaborating with people or doing share for shares. So again, it's like, hey, I'll do a video with you on your account. And then we do a video with me on, on my account. That's one way of doing it. Or it's just straight share for share. You share a post, I share a post. Then there's another level to it where you can actually pay for that. So let's just say you're at your level. You have 2,000 followers. You know, getting other people that are 2,000 followers may take a long time to work your way up. So the other way that you can do it is by advertising, by shares on other accounts. So Facebook, there's large, large pages that you can pay to share your account. Instagram, uh, there's meme accounts. So there's accounts based around like every element. A meme account is it's not formed by an influencer or it's not a brand. It's just kind of like an account around like inspiration, like the good quote or note to self, or there's ones around fitness and food and everything. Well, those accounts, their primary revenue stream is selling what they call shout outs, selling advertising of posting your content on their account to drive that traffic back. However, even if we're getting either organic or paid distribution of our content, that doesn't necessarily mean your content is going to drive massive follower growth. So one of the accounts that we've worked with in the past has 20 million followers. If you have a piece of content that's not really optimized, meaning not stopping the scroll and not holding attention, maybe it makes, generates 250, 500 followers for you. But if you have an optimized piece of content, that could equate to 25,000 or more followers off a single post. So that's, again, where it comes down to content design and engineering that content. The other ways, the simple ways, is contest and giveaways. Uh, people are opting in to win something. There's going to be a high follower loss with it, but you can gain followers that way. But again, what's the value of that follower if you can't reach them, if you can't convince them to stick around? Uh, so those are different ways that you can go about uh, growing followers. And 
again, I don't sit here and say, you know, the one thing is don't do fake followers. And I think that has caught down. I don't even know what's out there at this point because I, I just don't pay attention to it. But that's the one thing you don't want to do is, is fake followers. I'm not going to sit here and demonize because we've tested it and we use it for some accounts. We've used it for our accounts in our past of whether you do a giveaway or things like that versus a shout out versus a organic share for share relationship. We've tested it all. We use all of the principles. And I'm not going to sit here and say not to do one thing over another thing because really what it comes to is what, how are you maximizing the value of those followers? What is the underlying business strategy? How are you monetizing that growth? Because that will dictate the strategies that you use to go for it. So that's, again, another very long-winded answer to a, a very simple uh, question. I think that's some very good strategies that uh, I can put into place tomorrow. So thank you for that, Brendan. You mentioned quality and quantity during this conversation. I would say content is and and quality quality itself is subjective. So as a creator, kind of, or, but in the eyes of the algorithm, it's not. So what's your thoughts on that? Because obviously a lot of creators, they want to put out great content. They want it to be perfect. They want it to be great, the quality. Yeah, well, it depends on what your definition of quality is. Are you talking about production value? You know, are you talking about branding? Are you talking mm -hmm. about lighting? Stuff like that. That's, that stuff doesn't mean anything. I'll definitively tell you that right now. I'm not saying that you can't find content that's gone vi viral with that. But like my a good friend that I went to high school with and, and we moved out to LA together, he created a company called Juke and, Juke and Media. And they're the Getty Images for viral content. It's all user-generated licensed content. I don't know what they're at now. I think the last time we, we talked, they were like three or four billion views a month. That is all user-generated content. It, there's no fancy camera setups or lighting or any of that. So it really depends on what your definition of quality is. We always say quality over quantity, but when we say quality, it's about engineering your success and really understanding what you're doing, why you're doing it, baked in research. Creativity is subjective, yes. Quality can be subjective, but again, that's why we focus on leveraging the scientific method for creativity because you can definitively dissect and understand what drives success versus what doesn't try success. Now it takes time to get good at it. I'm not like, you're not going to start tomorrow. Well, I hope you start tomorrow and start nailing it. But from our experience, we train people for like six months. And sometimes even with that, people don't get it because they have this preconceived notion of what branding is and production value, and they can't get out of, their, out of their own way. But there is a science to it. It's like virality can be engineered. Brendan, social media is moving very quickly. Which is the platform that is easiest to build a, a social following the fastest today in 2021, November? TikTok is very friendly in terms of new creators and pushing your content out. So I would say if we had to pick one, TikTok is probably the fastest to grow. But each one, again, if you get your content dialed in, you can grow. But if I have to answer it, TikTok is probably the easiest from from an algorithm, it's very friendly of pushing your content to new people. Have you done an experience on TikTok? We've done some work. We have some partners that are very successful. We're mm -hmm. launching a magazine at the beginning of next month around the viral content engineering process. And the first issue is all around TikTok. And you know, we break down a friend of mine 
who's about to hit 20 million followers on TikTok in, in, in breaking down his, his success. So yeah, we're, we're very familiar with it. What are your thoughts on LinkedIn? I feel like I LinkedIn think- is like the Facebook of 2011. In what respect? In respect that organic content is being reached to more people and people are using it in a more casual way. Because LinkedIn in the beginning was only like for professional people. You used it for networking. But I feel like- It still is. Like, listen, I don't know that I agree that it's, and and I don't know if you're pulling this from Gary Vee and, and what he talks about LinkedIn, but we see a lot of people that are struggling with LinkedIn. It's not as easy as everybody thinks it is. I highly value LinkedIn. I think it's an amazing tool from a B2B perspective. And we've closed massive deals tens of millions of dollars in deals off of B2B outreach for LinkedIn. So it just depends on the brand you want to build. I am very bullish on it. I don't know that necessarily, I think you have to play the content game with it. We do a little bit. The newsletter uh, feature is is really amazing. We're growing pretty quickly with that without a lot of work. But even just if you, and it's hard because there's a lot of competition, there's a lot of people doing LinkedIn completely wrong, but there is still a lot of value in direct outreach. If you have the right hook point, if you have the right message that can stand out above the noise, but yeah, I love LinkedIn. Uh, if you're if you're looking to grow from a B two B perspective, uh, I think it's an amazing tool. Brenda, one thing we didn't speak about is actually a hook point. How do you define your hook point in the message that you want to get across? There's three core pillars to a successful hook point. One, can you grab attention? Mm-hmm. Because without grabbing attention, you get lost in the noise. Two, what do you do with that attention? Because attention with no substance doesn't mean anything. So we're not talking about clickbait. So you have to hold that attention. And number three, how are you monetizing that attention? Because going viral for the sake of going viral, if it's not leading to your overall business objectives and goals, it doesn't really mean anything. Does that mean that every post it needs to sell something? No, it doesn't. But you should have an underlying business strategy of how you're going to capitalize off of it because what can happen is, again, that creator fatigue can 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 set in. But at a very high level, a hook point is, is designed to make you stand out. And it works across all mediums. I've used this in person when I first started in the movie studio. I've used it for B2B outreach on LinkedIn. We use it for emails. We use it for social media. We use it for books. We use it for podcasts. Hook points can be used for anything. And it's really just designed to get people to pay attention to what you have to say. And then once people are paying attention, what you have to say is that you construct your message in such a way that allows you to hold that attention long enough to have your business objective and goals work for you. Brendan, you said that you love to teach in the beginning of the show. And I wanted to ask you, what would you tell your 20-year-old 20, 20 self? Uh, I mean, there's a few things. I, you know, I think that number one, being patient patient with this, with this stuff, kind of know that you're always in the right place at the right time with things and to, to really make decisions out of what fuels you, not what scares you. I think that those are, are some fundamentals that, that I would express. And what are some of the advice you would give to all the 30 year olds listening? Again, like no matter what you want to achieve to me, based on where the world's at, and where the world is going, if you can master the art of grabbing and holding attention, you're going to be so valuable no matter what happens in the world. Because as these creator economies flourish, 
as more people get online, there's just going to be so much more competition out there. And you've got to find those ways to, to really stand out above the noise so people pay attention to your true genius. Very deep. Thank you for that, Brendan. Um, I have a last question for you. You, you said you, you love to teach, but all the people that I know that are great teachers, they're also great students and students that read books. So which is the book that you've gifted the most to, to your friends and family? You know, it's interesting. I don't read a lot of books. I, I love to learn from people directly or even like podcasts. I just, for some reason, books as a medium, and it's crazy because I've published two books. I just find it difficult for me to learn. But with that said, I think that How to Win Friends and Influence People is one of my favorite books of all time. I think it's a, it's a great read. It's still very relevant today. Um, Contagious by Jonah Berger, I think has some good insights in there. So if I had to kind of pinpoint, though, those are probably the two books, but my sample size is probably not as big as most. Brendan, you said you love to to get the insight directly from people. How do you do that? Do you just ask random questions then, in curious questions to the people that you meet, or do you actively seek out to strangers on LinkedIn or or networking events or conferences? I naturally meet a lot of people. Um, it's kind of one of the skill sets that I have. I do do some outreach to some people, but it's not like a, a huge thing. I, I often, you know, the circles that I run into, I get introduced to a lot of people or I can ask people I know to get introductions. I hate the word networking. I think it, I think it's, um, the reason I hate it and I hate networking conferences is because it's almost designed to kind of force people to try and get something out of other people. And I think that's where people fail with networking is you're going in it with the intent of what can I get out of this person? What kind of value does this person offer me instead of the value that I can offer this person? So I don't really go to any networking events. And if I go to conferences or conventions, I usually go because I'm speaking uh, because I am not an extrovert. I'm not going to just go walk up to random people and things like that. So that's kind of the way that I tend to operate with that. I love what you said about forcing and trying to get value from other people. Like, okay, what can I get from that person and what can I give in exchange? Because I have the same philosophy, you know, and that's something that I try to tell all our students, you know, through absolute internship that, hey, it's not like, hey, what can I get from that person? Because if you really want to win in life, it's all about how can I help other people? And it's all about long-term relationships. And I think that's what how success is really being created. Yeah, I agree. Brendan, it's been uh, such a pleasure to, to have you on the show. Thank you very much for attending Fika with Rice. Yeah, it's a pleasure connecting with you and everybody that's tuning in. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Fika with Rice. I hope you enjoyed the show. Who do you want to have on our show? Let us know by sending me an email at frederick at absoluteinternship.com. And before you go, if you like this conversation, don't forget to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, or Spotify to get to listen to more inspirational stories and life hacks. We really appreciate it. See you next time and much gratitude for listening.